I just want to give you a, a heads up. But we're, hi, Lisa. Good to see you, girl. Of what we're planning on for tonight. And then we're just going to get into it. Um, I'm going to be sharing the final teaching on our identity series. I'm very excited to share this message tonight. And then I have a special guest. You might have met her already. Her name's Beth. She's, been, she's right over here. She's been kind of meandering through and meeting people and loving on people. Um, I met Beth about oh, six or seven years ago. Four years ago? Okay, four years ago. My principal at my school, it had to be longer than that because I, so I was, I was already retired then. Okay, so my old principal, my, I guess I shouldn't call her old, my previous principal um, knew Beth because she was also principal at Beth's kids' school when they were younger. And so we had this common friend. And Denise Bearsnoff, my friend, told me about Beth and, and asked if I could connect with her. So I went to Beth's house. Beth has been fighting, um, um, she's going to tell you about it, but she's been fighting um, a disease called scleroderma for several years. And so I went to her house that day. I shared good news. I love to share good news. You know that. Shared good news with her. I prayed with her. And then I didn't see her again until January. And the lady that's sitting next to her, that really pretty lady with the blonde hair, name's Lori. Lori invited me to... Um, to do, well, actually, Beth took my healing Bible study. That day, four years ago, when I met Beth, um, I took my healing Bible study to her. Beth took that healing Bible study to Lori, who is the head of a group at Heritage Church. Heritage Church is where Pastor Tim's son is a, a associate pastor. So there's all of these little connections. So I went and visited um, their, their healing meeting in January. And when I was there, I got to meet Beth again. And I was just very, very, very blessed. And this is what blessed me. I mean, she's an amazing girl, amazing, beautiful woman. But this is what really impacted me. Her identity is in Christ. She knows who she is in Christ. And one of the statements she made to me that day that I was at Heritage, she said, Cindy, my identity is not scleroderma. That's not who I am. My identity is healed in Jesus Christ. And so, and that just really, and not that plus her, her heart, just the way she communicates her heart and her compassion. It was like, I, I'm wrapping up this teaching on identity and her face keeps coming to me as I'm, you know, in the word and in the scriptures about identity. Beth keeps coming to me. So I thought, okay, God, I hear you. So I called Beth and invited her to come and share her story with us. So I'm going to um, finish up the teaching on identity today. And, and I'm going to have a shortened teaching, I hope. That's, you know, Cindy, that's always a, a problem for Cindy to have a shortened teaching. But that's my plan. And then we're going to let Beth share her story. And I know you'll be very, very blessed. So um, I'm going to start. I'm waiting to see Pastor Tim back there because he's coming tonight. Yes. So, you guys, we need two seats there, just so you know, for Pastor Tim and Linda. So, just so you know when they get here. Um, but I want to share a Pastor Tim quote. Um, he spoke this, I don't even know when, a long time ago. It really impacted me, and I want to share it with you. I've shared it numerous times during this series, but I'm going to share it again. Pastor Tim said that knowing your identity, your true identity in Jesus, is critical in receiving your healing. 
if you're believing things about yourself that are not your true identity, I call them lies. If you're believing lies or half-truths about who you are in Jesus, instead of the truth, the real truth, the full truth about who you are, then you're under the deception of the enemy. And his plan is for you to buy those lies. His purpose is stealing, killing, and destroying. And one of the ways he does that is through identity theft. Stealing your identity. Stealing that amazing truth of who you are in Jesus. And another thing that he does is identity crisis. Where you have a, a, a crisis in your identity. And you believe that that crisis from your past is today with you. Like, like you're carrying a ball and chain around. Today in your present, and that it's going to follow you into your future. Friends, that is the deception of the enemy. So I'm going to ask just a few questions just to get you, your heart stirring. Holy Spirit, come do your thing right now. First question, have you been believing the enemy's lies? Have you perhaps been believing that the disease that you have is part of who you are and it's it's almost become part of your identity have you allowed the world to define who you are instead of god have you allowed life's experiences to mold your belief instead of the word of god because very often they are completely contradictory the first week of this series, I made a statement. It's a Bill Johnson quote. It's a powerful one. And here's the statement. A change of identity brings about a change of destiny. A change of identity brings about a change of destiny. Now, there's an amazing scripture. I taught it a few weeks ago when I was teaching part of our, our truths about identity. Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of us have this as a, a, a very strong word that's in our heart. God tells us. He gives us this wonderful promise. He said, I have a really good plan for you, friends. Daughter, son, I have a good plan for you. A plan to prosper you and not to harm you. A plan to give you a hope and a future. If we know our true identity, that's our true destiny. Walking out that future, that gift, that life, that destiny that is on our lives, using the gifts, the dreams, the desires, the passions that are a part of us. But if we don't believe the truth, the full truth, we can, we, the destiny can look a whole lot different. And it can look more like the enemy's plan instead of God's plan. You know, there is a, a little nugget that I want to share with you that has changed everything for me. And that is you don't need to understand to believe. It's so much easier when you realize you don't have to have it all figured out to believe. Believing doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. In fact, the Bible says faith is believing what you don't yet see, what you haven't heard, what you haven't yet experienced. So when I sing that song, and when I see what God says about me in his word, 
It doesn't matter if I look like what that says or if I feel like what that says. I choose to believe what he says I am. And that's the beginning of becoming that and living that and being in that place of faith that that's who I truly am. And then walking into the destiny that he has for me. Because a change in identity brings about a change in destiny. And I want to live in God's destiny for me. And now I want all of us to experience that. My heart's desire is, is to just spread like wildfire. God's word of truth and of good, good, good news. So this is what I'm going to start with. I am just going to make some declarations of who I am and who you are as daughters and sons of Christ. Daughters and sons of the living God. Here's some really good news. You are healed and made whole. That's who you are. You might not feel it. You might not have yet seen that manifested in your body, but that's who you are. Because Christ paid for our healing 2,000 years ago. He doesn't need to pay for it today. It's already your possession. As soon as you receive Jesus as your Lord, it became your possession. So you are healed. You are forgiven. And because you're forgiven, you're righteous. And because you're righteous, you're worthy. You are worthy of healing. You are worthy of the blessings of Abraham. You're worthy. You are blessed and you are worthy of those blessings, including healing. Here's another piece of your identity. You are a son or a daughter of God. You're in the family of God. God is your father. It doesn't matter who your earthly father is or was, no matter how good, how amazing, or how not so good, or not so amazing. You have a new father. You have the best father. You are a child of God. You are one in Christ. And because Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, you reign and rule with authority and with power. You've been commissioned through Christ to carry on and to advance his kingdom here on earth. Wow. You are God's masterpiece. He created each one of us individually as his masterpieces. We are a treasure. There's gold in each one of us. God loves what he what he gifted us. He loves, he loves to dream with us. He loves when we get excited and have these visions and these dreams. And he comes right along and dreams with us. Last week I talked about this truth about our identity, and that is that we are more than a conqueror. We are hyper-conquerors. That's what the word literally means. More than a conqueror it means we are glorious hyper-conquerors. And there is no foe. No foe that can have power or authority over us when we know our authority and take that authority and use it and exercise it. We are a victor, not a victim. That's who we are in Christ. And there's so much more. There's so much more. We are going to have all of these um, teachings on a collection on our website. And as soon as we finish the last, this one, and then I've got one to make up from one of our snow days on Tuesday, I'll be doing that next week. They'll all be on the website along with Tom Veer's teachings. He taught several teachings during this series. So there's going to be a whole wealth 
of teachings to go back to and feed your soul. Today, we're going to talk about this beautiful truth. I am redeemed. You are redeemed. God has just unpacked this truth and unveiled revelation about this truth that had just completely taken me to my knees. I wanted to find that word redemption. A lot of these notes are on your paper so that you'll have them to take home and to think about and to pray about, to talk to God about during the week. But the word redeemed, as I define this word, think about our redeemer. Think about Jesus and how he has done this for you and for me. Redeemed means ransomed. It means payment of a price to recover from the power of another. That's what Jesus did for us. With his blood, he paid the price for us to be taken out of the control, out of the power of the enemy. Redeemed means liberated. It means delivered from bondage, delivered from penalty. The penalty that we owed, Jesus paid the price for. He paid the ransom for. Delivered from liability. I looked that word up because I didn't quite understand what that meant. Liability means legally responsible for payment or judgment. We aren't liable. We've been delivered from the liability of what we should have paid or what we should have been judged for because Jesus took it for us. The judgment was paid, but it was paid by him through our redemption, through his blood. Redeemed means um, delivered from the possession of another. And we have been delivered out of the possession of the enemy. Um, Glenn, would you get some more chairs and just thank you very much. Good news. We need more chairs. So um, we've been um, delivered out of darkness and into the light, out of the possession of the enemy, out of the dominion, out of the control of darkness, and into the kingdom of the son of his love. We've been redeemed. Hebrews 9 verse 12. With his own blood not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. That's what Jesus did. Now, we know in the sacrificial system, can, can you get the slideshow up, babe? The, the scripture, so people can see that again. I want to read it one more time. With his own blood, with Jesus' blood, not the, bo- not the blood of goats and calves, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all time, once for all time, and secured our redemption. In the old covenant, they had to sacrifice over and over and over again. But Jesus, once and for all, became the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished lamb. And he redeemed us. He paid the price for our redemption forever with his blood. And everything that redemption means... But the issue is, and that's why I'm teaching on redemption, if you don't know the fullness of your redemption and what that means and what it encompasses and what it entails, you can not receive that freedom. You can hold yourself in bondage unknowingly 
ignorantly when you've already been set free, when you've already been liberated, when you've already been delivered. You can hold yourself in bondage if you don't know the full truth. I'm going to give you a couple scriptures about freedom, just a couple, just to feed your soul. Here's one, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom from or emancipation from bondage and true freedom. Emancipation, freedom from slavery, freedom from bondage, complete freedom through the spirit. Here's another one, John 8, 36. So if the son makes you free, then you are unquestionably free. Say this, I am free. I'm a free woman or a free man. I'm liberated. That's who I am. I'm not under bondage. Galatians 5.1. Paul saw, the apostle Paul saw a concern, a grave concern. And he talks about it in the book of Galatians. And I'm going to read just a verse that really zeroes in on this whole problem of us holding ourselves in bondage, bondage to the law, the old covenant, bondage to sin, bondage to our own mess ups, our own lack, our own, you know, not being good enough or worthy enough or, or insecure, inferior, whatever. We do it to ourselves. And Paul saw the people doing that. And he wrote this word. He said, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He said, stand up in your freedom. You are free. You might not look it, feel it, act it, but you are free. So stand up in that freedom, and don't put yourself, do not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage when you've been set free. So what I'm going to do now, I've got on your sheet, I put four pieces of redemption. God just unveiled this to me with such clarity as I was preparing this. I was undone by this truth. And I've given you scriptural evidence for all of them. Friends, there's a whole lot more scriptural evidence than one. I gave you one scripture for each piece of our redemption from sin that I'm going to talk about tonight. This is truth biblical truth. And when this gets implanted in your heart, it, it's like a done deal. It's in me. It's a done deal. And my prayer is that it is in you as I share this. So the first part that we've been redeemed from is the barrier of sin. Let me read the scripture and then I'll go a little deeper. Ephesians 1, 7. Since we are now joined in, joined to Christ, We've been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. So the first amazing part of our redemption through, his, through the blood of Jesus, the blood sacrifice of Jesus, is that all sin was canceled out. Total cancellation of our sins. The word that we often see in the Bible is forgiveness or remission. The Greek word is aphasis, A P 
P-H-E-S-I-S. It literally means total cancellation of sin. There was a barrier of sin between people and God. And because God is a holy God, and before Jesus, we had a sin nature that had come upon us in our, our, um, it was who we were because of Adam and because of the fall of man. So there was this barrier that kept us separated from the holy of holies. We even know that in the old covenant, there was only one man, one high priest, once a year that could go into the most holy of holies because of sin. And on that day, he would go behind that veil, but only one man. There was a separation because of sin. Jesus completely destroyed the barrier of sin. He took the judgment. He paid the price so that that barrier of sin would completely be broken. Why? Because our father wanted us reconciled to him. He wanted us in communion with us, with him. He wanted us to be able to come face to face with him. And because of what Jesus did, because of the cancellation of sins, we've been reconciled unto God. So that's the first part of redemption. The second part is that not only has that barrier of sin been removed, but we've also been redeemed from the penalty of sin, the judgment of sin, the punishment of sin. Romans 5, 9 says, and there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we've heard the powerful declaration you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Jesus experienced the wrath of God for us. All of the wrath of God was placed upon Jesus for all sin. Our part is to accept the sacrifice. And once we've received Jesus as our Savior, then this is ours. But how many people feel like they have to punish themselves or be under guilt or be under condemnation every time they miss it? It says if Jesus didn't pay enough and we have to pay more. That's a lie. That's, that's the enemy trying to steal your identity. This is part of redemption. All wrath, all punishment, all penalty has been paid for. The penalty of sin you've been redeemed from. Let that sink in for a minute. Here's the next part. You've been redeemed from the power of sin. Let me give you scriptural evidence. Romans 6, 6. In fact, the whole chapter, Romans 6, talks about this. So go and read Romans 6 this week if you want to. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Hallelujah. In Romans 6, I'm just going to just kind of summarize Romans 6. It's this chapter where it talks about baptism. It talks about um, when we are baptized and when we go under the water. It's, 
It's showing that we, like Jesus, like Jesus, we were crucified and buried, entombed with Jesus. And when we come out of the water, it shows that like Jesus, we were resurrected to new life. And then it goes on in Romans 6, and it says, and Jesus... Sin had no more power over him because he destroyed its power. And he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he is, and he is um, in this position of, of intimate fellowship with the Father. And then in Romans 6, it says, you are too. You are too in fellowship, in this amazing place of fellowship with the Father. And then it goes on to say this, that sin no longer has any dominion over you. It no longer has any power over you. When we're a born-again child of God, we have the Holy Spirit. Now, we have um, a free will. And part of our free will is yielding to the Holy Spirit. I believe that when we yield to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when we yield to God, when we yield to his word, that sin isn't even an issue anymore. Sin's strongholds are no longer strong. They have no more power. And, and we see ourselves being transformed, transfigured into the image of God more and more. Pastor Tim has this beautiful statement that he says that I say now. He says, we become what we behold. And that is literally based on a scripture, and I don't know the reference, but it's the one that says that as we behold in the word of God, the glory of God, we become transformed, transfigured more and more into the image of God. So sin has no power over us. So if you, I shouldn't be pointing. That's what they've been talking about, that guy on TV, (laughs) that presidential Democrat dude. He is always pointing at people. I got to stop doing that. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. So if you (laughs) feel like you have a stronghold of sin in your life, you're believing a lie because with the Holy Spirit, sin has no more power over you. And when we come to know our identity and step into it, that can just be washed away completely, not even, no effect, of no effect. Okay, the next piece. You've been redeemed, I'm going to just name them again. You've been redeemed from the barrier of sin. You've been redeemed from the penalty of sin. You've been redeemed from the power of sin. And fourth, you have been redeemed from all of the curses of all of our sin. The reason that curses were there was because of sin. This is the old covenant. There was the the sin that was resulted in curses and obedience resulted in blessing. Jesus, 1 Peter 2.24, it says that he took all of our sin into his body on the cross. In Galatians 3.13, it says that he took the curse upon himself for our wrongdoing, for our sin. When he defeated sin... The curse was also defeated. He absorbed the curse when he absorbed our sin. Sickness is part of the curse. 
If you read Deuteronomy 28, the whole section of the chapter that is about the curses, I've done this and I've listed all the sicknesses. Almost all of them are sicknesses. Sickness is a curse and we've been redeemed from the curse of sin. Let me read the scripture. Galatians 3.13. But Christ has rescued us and that is also translated redeemed in some translations. It's the same word. Christ has redeemed us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on the tree. So Jesus became the curse for us to remove the curse from us. He paid the price. We've been ransomed from the curse. The barrier of sins no longer there were reconciled unto God. The punishment, the penalty, the judgment was paid for through Christ. We've been redeemed. Sin no longer has power over us, and there's no more curse. It's been absorbed through Christ. That is me, and that is you. So now what I'm going to do, very simply and very um, quickly, I'm not going to teach on these. I'm just going to give you nuggets that are included in what we've been re- the curse that we've been redeemed from, some of the pieces of the curse that we've been redeemed from. And I'm going to give you a scripture for each one of them. So the first one, we've been redeemed from pain and sickness. This is a prophetic word from the book of Isaiah, 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he, this is referring to our Lord Jesus, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The word griefs literally means sickness and disease. And the word sorrows means pain. It could be emotional pain, physical pain, mental pain. Jesus carried our sickness and our disease, and he bore our pain. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So here, one prophetic word talks about sickness and disease. It talks about pain. It talks about sin, transgressions, and iniquities. It talks about the peace that was purchased for us. And the peace that was purchased for us came to redeem us from the opposite of peace. Confusion, anxiety, stress, strife. Jesus purchased our peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. That's all in our redemption. The next statement. We've been redeemed from emotional and mental pain and illness. Another prophetic word about Jesus. Isaiah 61 verse 1. This word was fulfilled through Jesus. It was actually in, if you want to read it in the Bible, it's in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus read the scripture and he said, today, this has been fulfilled through me. And this is the word. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed and commissioned me to bring good news to the humble and afflicted. 
He has sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim lease from conf- release from confinement and condemnation to the physical and spiritual captives and freedom to prisoners. He came to free us from mental wounds and hurts and, and emotional pain and, and brokenheartedness and grief and all of those pieces. He came to free us and heal us of every aspect of sickness and disease and pain and hurt. We've also been redeemed from the effects of being wounded, unloved, unapproved, unaccepted, rejected, or abandoned. Isaiah 53, verse 3, another word of prophecy about Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest griefs. As I read the words about Jesus, one of the things that just impacts me so deeply is that he literally took upon himself the things that we, that mankind suffered with. And then there was a divine exchange. Through his redemption, there was a divine exchange. He took what we had so that we could have the fullness of life that he possessed. There was a divine exchange. And part of that was being despised, being rejected. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So if those words describe what's in your heart right now, rejection, sorrows, grief, being despised, ridiculed, felt feel like you're not, you know, you're inferior or not good enough or whatever that is. We have been redeemed from those things. A lot of times what, what I see is that we've had experiences in life that, like these, the, the heading here, of being wounded, being hurt, our hearts being hurt, our feelings are, are very deeply hurt, um, feeling unloved or unapproved or rejected. Those things have happened in our past, and we carry them into our present. And the effects of those things in our past come into our present with us. And they may even, we may even say, and that's going to be me forever, and that's going to be my future as well. Friends, that is identity theft. Because you've been redeemed. It's under the blood When Jesus shed his blood as a sacrifice, he paid the price so that we don't have to live with the effects of the stuff from our past. We have been redeemed. Romans um, 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. So if you are, are feeling like you're never good enough, like your behaviors or the things you've lived through or others' behaviors towards you have affected you in such a way that you can't dig your way out of it, then you haven't received or you haven't understood, that's a better word, you haven't understood 
what you have received as a child of God. And that is the spirit of full acceptance. And folding you into the family of God. Fully accepted. Loved. Unconditionally. God sees you through the blood of Jesus. Perfected. With none of the stuff that you might see in yourself. That, that is non-existent in God's heart for you. We've also been redeemed from the effects of trauma. I'm going to give you my definition of trauma. Uh, and I'm sure it can be more than this. But this is, this is what I'm envisioning now as I share this, this scripture with you. I see trauma as something that you had no um, um, power over. It just was a, a, an accident or an event in your life that happened, and it was very traumatic. For example, the death of a loved one, um, uh, an accident, um, perhaps a, a robbery, a house robbery, or being um, abused, or perhaps a rape or something like that. You had nothing to do with it. And you were in, in this um, environment and you were, there was a trauma. What I'm saying right now, the world says that PTSD is a very real, huge, huge thing out there in the world. And I'm not disagreeing with that. But what I am saying is that those physical effects, and they're very physical, I, I've, I believe that PSTD did I say that wrong? PTSD is very real. And the symptoms and the, 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 the things that happen physically and mentally and emotionally are very real. But this is what I am saying, that Jesus paid the price so that you don't have to live through that. I was diagnosed with stage four cancer 17 years ago. And according to the world's view, it was incurable and I shouldn't be here today. But I am. I'm very strong. I'm very healthy. I'm Perfectly healthy and whole. Same thing for trauma. If God can heal cancer, he can certainly completely remove all of those physical side effects of trauma. And I'm going to give you a scripture to give you evidence of that. Isaiah 53 verse 5. This is the NIV translation of, of a scripture I've already read. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The reason I wanted to use this translation is because the word wounds is the Greek word for trauma. So if I, and I, I came across that as I was studying about trauma and, and our, our, our redemption from it. If that's true, and it is, then we can say that the punishment that brought us peace was upon Jesus. And by his trauma, we're healed. So think for a moment about Jesus' passion. He lived through the, probably the biggest trauma anybody's ever lived through. Torment, torture. When he not only physically went through everything he went through, but spiritually, because he took all of our sin upon himself. He was separated from his father. He was, he was for three days, we believe, in, in hell, in the abyss. He went through 
all of that trauma to purchase our peace. Peace is shalom. The, the medical word for it is homeostasis, where our, our body and our soul are balanced. No PTSD in there. Peace, shalom. Jesus purchased it for us. Friends, we can choose not to allow our past to affect our future. If your past is affecting your future, this message is for you. Because we can rise up into our, our identity and make a choice to say, God, I don't feel it, but I believe it. I choose to believe what you say about me. Instead of believing the lie that I've been believing my whole life about my past, I'm not going to believe it anymore. I want to share a short um, testimony about my daughter-in-law that gives evidence, that gives proof that our past doesn't have to affect our future. My daughter-in-law is one of the most beautiful women. I love her. I can't even tell you how much I love my daughter-in-law. She is a born-again Christian, spirit-filled, and lives every day of her life in Christ and Christ in her. She's a beautiful woman of God. But that's not what she was like when I met her. When her and my son started dating, I called her a hippie. She had dreads. If you, Some of you guys might not know what that is. It's where your hair is all matted and knotted and these big rope things. She had many body piercings. She had a lot of tattoos. Um, she was very nice, very sweet. She was as, I shouldn't say this because there's not degrees of being unsaved. But I say she was about as unsaved as you can get. She was very worldly. She had no conception of God because it had never been presented to her. She grew up in her home, in a home where there was no, no religion, no faith of any kind. So she was a blank sheet of paper, which is kind of a good thing, actually. And I won't tell the whole story about her salvation, but her and my son, Chad, grew up and came to know the Lord together. It's a beautiful story. So about a Two years ago, they'd been married for 10 years now. So they'd been married eight years. She'd been saved for probably eight, 10 years at that time. Um, I was talking to her, and um, she shared something with me. I was talking to her about what God was revealing to me about being redeemed. We were just having this amazing conversation because she's my spiritual daughter as well as my daughter-in-law. And I was talking to her about being redeemed. And she started to tell me a story. She said, Mom, I've never told you this before. But she said, back before I was saved, before I knew Chad, she said, I lived a very different lifestyle, and I made a lot of really poor choices. And during that time, I was raped. So my daughter's telling me this, and it's just breaking my heart because I love this girl. I can't even tell you how much I love her. But then she started to tell me the rest. And she said, but that's not who I am. That's the old me. When I think back, she says, it doesn't even affect me because I'm a new creation. That's not who I am anymore. I'm a born-again daughter of God. I'm a new person. I'm redeemed, and that has no more effect over me. She, that, she told me, the only reason she told me is because I'm telling her about being redeemed, and she's saying, yeah, Mom, 
I know I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed from that trauma. I'm a redeemed from that event. I'm redeemed from my behaviors, my poor choices. I've been redeemed. I'm a new woman. So I'm going to give you two scriptures, two beautiful scriptures right now to help you to move out of the past and into the truth of who you are now as a son or a daughter. The first one is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I got to tell you one more nugget about this. I believe that the old things that have passed away includes everything from this moment now in my past. It's not just my far past before I was saved. It's my recent past. I've been redeemed because Jesus paid the price for all sin. Sin has been totally canceled out. So if I have a huge um, whatever, you know, hurt or or wound or or maybe uh where i've hurt somebody or wounded somebody this morning i've been redeemed from that from all of it from the sin from the penalty from the power of that sin from the the curse from all of it the past it says old things have passed away and all things are have become new Yes, from this moment. And Philippians 3.18 says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Amen. Next nugget. We've been redeemed from generational curses. As a child of God, we've been redeemed from all the curses of the old covenant, including the curse upon generational iniquities. You know, in the Old Testament where it says the sins of the fathers will be upon three generations or something like that, that's, that's under the curse, and we've been redeemed. But the problem is if we don't know the fullness of our redemption, we can buy the lie. And I think there's two areas here I want to talk about. The first one is the sin issue, the iniquities of our fathers. And sometimes these things run in families. For example, addictions. Addictions, you see it kind of following the family line. Another example would be sexual sin. You see it sometimes in generations. It seems to be in generations. But if you know the truth that you've been redeemed from that curse, you can put a stop to it right now. Take the authority you have as a believer and say, nope, that stops here. The other part of that generational curse is in the DNA or the genetic makeup. Sickness. Heart disease runs in the family, according to the doctors. Cancer, another one. They always, the doctors want your history because they say those things run in the family. But sickness is a curse that we've been redeemed from. We don't have to live with those things following our bloodline. But we need to, if we buy the lie, the enemy can deceive us into buying that or receiving it. So our part is to use our authority and say, no, that's not mine. I'm not receiving it. That stops in my bloodline, and it's not going to go any further than this. So that's another powerful truth. So Luke 10:19 says, listen carefully. 
I have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, Satan. Um, and nothing will in any way harm you. I'm going to share a quick testimony that, where I've seen this come to pass. This was a woman who was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, when she called me to tell me and to ask for prayer, she had already gone through the whole protocol of tests. And one of the parts of the test was the genetic test to see if she had the gene for cancer. And she told me she had a gene for aggressive breast cancer. When she called, we um, took authority over the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, the cancer, the, um, um, the gene, and everything else. We just, you know, I prayed over her and, and took authority over the work of the enemy. And she told me that day that she was going to go for another opinion. So she went for the second opinion, and she went to a different medical center, and they did all the testing again. They did that genetic testing again gone. The DNA for the gene, for that mutated gene, was not there. Now, you and I both know that in the natural, DNA doesn't change. But she took authority over that. She no longer had the gene for for breast cancer. She's now completely well, completely whole. Praise you, Jesus. The last point, we have been redeemed from All of the power of all demonic forces. Everything changed at the cross. Since the death and resurrection of Jesus and forevermore, Satan and every demon and every curse is in a state of utter defeat. Hallelujah. That defeat is to be enforced on earth as it is in heaven. And guess who's in control of enforcing it? It's us. God has done his part. It's now up to us to enforce that defeat. Demons still are work. They, they want to be in control. And they are still in control of the unsaved because the, the unsaved haven't yet been transferred out of the dominion of darkness, out of the dominion and the power of the enemy. But we have been. But the enemy still tries to have his way through ignorance, through not knowing. But... They must respond to the authority and power of believers. Their ply, their ploy, is to um, bluff, to deceive their way out of compliance. So I'm going to give you a couple scriptures. Colossians 2.15. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of faith, in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. And I'll even go so far as to say that's true for me too. I am not the prisoner of the enemy. The enemy is my prisoner. Our roles have been reversed. And we can do the same thing. We can... I literally have a triumphant procession saying, I'm the victor. You're the victim, devil. I'm the victor because of who we are in Christ. First John 3, Jesus' purpose, the purpose of the Son of God, 
for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And first John four, four says, you are of God, little children and have overcome them. And the word them refers to the antichrist, anyone against Christ, including the enemy, including people that, that may be, um, puppets manipulated by the enemy. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's who you are. That's who I am. We're redeemed. So we have a choice. We can choose to believe and live in our redemption in Christ, in the fullness of our redemption. We can choose to not allow our past to define our future. We can choose to um, step into the fullness of our identity. And that means not accepting the diagnosis as who we are. We can walk in the fullness of our redemption. But we need to know it. Meditate on the truth. Take these scriptures. I gave you lots of evidence. Take these scriptures. Feed your soul with truth. And I believe you're going to rise up. That's my prayer is that you rise up into who you really are in Christ. Amen. Amen. So my friend Beth is going to come and share now. You're going to be so blessed with her story of redemption. Her story, um, and I'm just going to give you a little, a little precursor because I heard it already. Um, Beth, come on up, and I'll, I'll turn your mic on, but go ahead and get your, your stuff here. Beth is going to give you the before and the after. So she's going to show you where she was when she didn't know her identity in Christ. So the first part of her story is, is kind of hard to hear, but we've all been there. Then she's going to tell the transformation and how she came to know her identity and who she is now and how God has redeemed her. Uh, I am grateful and humbled to be here with you this evening, and this is the second time I'm sharing my story. Last night was my first, so um, I appreciate your patience and your kindness. I was born and raised Catholic. I was born in 1972, and I received all of the sacraments, including being married um, in the Catholic Church. And when I was growing up, I went to church when I went to catechism, and that ended when I was confirmed in the Catholic Church when I was in the ninth grade. So I didn't really attend church anymore until my husband and I were looking for a place to get married, and then when um, a little bit later in my 20s when I became pregnant. But I believed in God. And I did good works to get into heaven. But in my household, stress was not relieved by reading the word or by going to church or praising the Lord. It was by drinking alcohol. Um, I led a pretty sinful life and uh, never read the Bible nor cared to or wanted to understand it. And um, I 
didn't mention this last night, but when I was in college, I was raped by a childhood friend of mine, and I was completely devastated. And I didn't tell anyone about it because I didn't figure anyone would believe me. And unfortunately, I had been drinking, so most people probably would have thought I deserved it. I also, to kind of deal with that, I became bulimic. And it's something that I battled with um, up until probably like about 10 years ago. But I was a long distance runner. I loved to run. That is how I decompressed. That is how I communed with nature. Uh, Unfortunately, it led for, to infertility for me because I was running so much I had no fat on my body. So uh, through fertility treatments, I got pregnant um, in 2000 and in 2003, and I have two gorgeous, healthy teenage girls. They are the light of my world. And I started going to church when I was pregnant with my first daughter because I wanted my baby to be blessed. I wanted our, you know, our family to... Um, learn a bit more about God, and unfortunately, my husband went to Catholic high school and thought he was done. <laughs> there's, there's no more left to going to church. Uh, as my children grew up, they started going and participating in the children's church choir, which I helped out as well, feeling that this would be another great way for me to score brownie points to get to heaven. Um, but unfortunately, around the year 2008 and a few years, years leading up to it, my marriage started completely falling apart. We didn't communicate. Um, basically, we communicated for the sake of the kids. And I started drinking. And I mean, I started drinking. Um, it got to the point where I could not function in the morning. I would be shaking so hard that um, I had to do a shot in order to get my kids ready for school. Obviously, this did not help my marriage. <laughs> and in 2013, my friends and my husband held an intervention, and I went to intensive outpatient uh, therapy or a program. And uh, I did this for a couple months, and I started going to AA meetings and heard about higher power and God, but I already believed in God, but I had to get myself out of this. So um, that failed. And in early 2014, I was admitted into a rehab center uh, for uh, alcohol, and um, I stayed there for 21 days. And during that time, I met many wonderful people, but um, one in particular, his name was John, who had a situation very similar to me um, in that his marriage was also falling apart. And so we would talk, and he was a very spiritual man. He read the Bible. He, um, he went to church, but he also did other things outside of church. And I, and I really liked what his relationship was with God because that was very unfamiliar to me. I was familiar with going to a church for an hour once a week and washing my hands of it. Um, so he encouraged me, and he even took me to a different church, a uh, Bible-based Christian church, and I really enjoyed it. It was very different than anything I had experienced before. 
Uh, he would encourage me to get baptized, but I'd already been baptized, and I already believed, so I was good. Um, in the summer of 2014, I started experiencing some really strange symptoms, and I had to stop running because I was constantly fatigued. My knees hurt me tremendously, and my hands started swelling, and I got a weird rash all over my arms. And so I decided that um, one thing simple and one thing really hard. The first of which I was going to go see a primary care care doctor when my girls went back to school. Um, Because my ex-husband had actually, sorry, my husband at the time had actually taken away my car keys um, since he couldn't trust me. So um, he gave me the car keys back and I went to my primary care physician and I also filed for divorce. I was scared, and I felt so alone. I went back to my primary care physician in a week to get my lab results, and I had tested positive for um, an autoimmune disorder through a test called an ANA test. Um, And I didn't really know what that meant. And she kind of brushed it off and said, oh, you, you know what lupus is. It's something like that. And... I was startled because I did know of somebody that had lupus, an acquaintance, and her life didn't seem very good at all. So she said, I need you to go and see a rheumatologist. So I went to see the rheumatologist, and she decided the best course of action was to do weekly blood tests. And within two weeks, she could diagnose me. And as Cindy had mentioned, she diagnosed me with a disease called scleroderma, which Thickening means thickening of the skin. It's an overproduction of collagen. And in some people, it occurs in spots. In some people, the hardening is all over. Um, In some people, the internal organs are affected. Um, It can thicken blood vessels. It can thicken the bronchial tubes. Um, It can paralyze your um, intestinal tract and your stomach and your esophagus. Um, So I was a little freaked out. (laughs) Um, I felt abandoned by my ex-husband. I was stressed. I started bargaining with the Lord. I thought that he gave it to me to wake me up and to get my attention because I had mistreated my body so horribly um, in the years prior to that. Um, In 2015, my symptoms grew progressively worse. They did affect the inside of my body. And... In October of 2014, after having my blood pressure monitored, I was rushed, in a sense, to the University of Michigan Hospital for kidney failure. My uh, rheumatologist had sent me there because uh, the University of Michigan has a clinic for scleroderma. So while I was inpatient, I got to meet who is my current rheumatologist that treats me for my scleroderma. And we had a plan, and it included a bone marrow transplant where they would kill off everything with chemotherapy. But first, they would take out my blood and clean it, save it, and then put it back in my body. So it was um, a special kind of stem cell transplant. But my scleroderma was worsening so quickly that I wasn't able to make doctor's appointments quite a few times. Honestly, I could hardly get out of bed. 
I was so alone and I know that that also led to me feeling sicker than I probably really was. I lost, um, I, uh, I shouldn't say that yet. I, um, they decided to put me on a chemotherapy called cytoxin because that had shown in some clinical trials some uh, promising results. Um, for me, it, all it led to was hair loss, nausea, vomiting, and extreme fatigue. Um, my hands started curling under so severely and my muscles started tightening that I couldn't drive any longer. Um, and because my ex-husband was so hurt, he didn't want to really have anything to do with me and I was living under his roof at the time. And so I had to hire somebody to take me to doctor's appointments, to bathe me, to dress me. I felt really alone and isolated. It was a really rough time for me. But thank God, the woman that I met was through a very good friend of mine. Her name was Kathy. And she was a very spiritual woman. And she introduced me to Lucinda, also a very spiritual woman who had come to take care of me for months. And she really helped me on my spiritual journey. I met Cindy Cox then from our connection as she described. And Cindy had something that I wanted, healing. That sounded miraculous. It was something I'd never heard of, God, healing. Could he really do that? Could he do that for me? And I still had John in my corner encouraging me and cheering me along. Lucinda, Kathy, John, my friend Sharon, who is here, my friend Lori, who is here. They're all divine connections that God has put into my life, and Cindy, too. Um, in August 2015, my personal assistant and some friends helped me move out of my ex-husband's home, and so I was in an apartment all by myself. And I was actually kind of excited because the environment that I was living in was pretty toxic, so I was getting away from that. But unfortunately, starting in February of 2016, things started to kind of go downhill. My oldest daughter, who had just started high school, was diagnosed with anorexia. And I started having intense nausea and vomiting nonstop. I was in the emergency room at least five times between February and May. Memorial Day weekend, I finally had an ambulance come and take me to the hospital because I didn't have anybody I could call. And it turns out that I had a necrotic pancreas, pancreatitis, as a result of my scleroderma. I spent two and a half months in the hospital. And that was a really long time, but I learned a lot. And I was able to communicate with my um, with the people that were on my uh, rheumatologist team quite a bit. And we still kept with my treatment of steroids. And come July, and I was still in the hospital, my kidneys failed completely. And I learned that I would be on dialysis for the rest of my life. I had no idea really what all that meant. I didn't realize what I was all gonna entail, but I, when I went home, because when I was in the hospital, it was easy to get dialysis. 
But when I went home, I had to go to a clinic three days a week. So I needed to find a ride. And also, in order to be discharged from the hospital, I had to have somebody come and care for me. And my friend John offered to do that for me. He offered to take me to all of my appointments, but he had to work, so he just needed somebody to come and pick me up. And my parents helped out, but they're eight, you know, they're elderly. They have their own doctor's appointments. They have their own lives. And so I would ask many friends, and that's when my friend Sharon really came back into my life. Sharon donated a kidney to her brother, and her mother was, had also been through dialysis, and she is a very strong woman of faith. And she encouraged me. She came and visited me. She brought me warm, fuzzy blankets and lots of soup. <laughs> it was, she was wonderful. Um, at that point in my life, I was lost. I was fed by the flesh. I was full of fear, sickness, pain, sin, depression, anxiety, hopeless, alone, rejected, abandoned, pitiful, bitter, broken, hurt, selfish. My heart was hardened. I was full of regret and stress, and most of all, guilt. I had so much guilt. I thought my daughter got anorexia because of me. I thought the divorce happened because of me. The alcoholism was all my fault. My illness was all my fault. I made my kids have to grow up too fast. That was all my fault. But in August, when I was released and I started going to dialysis and I was around John a lot more and I was around Sharon and my friend Lucinda and my friend Kathy, I decided I was going to start anew and live one day at a time. I started going to Heritage, and uh, I was very happy to be there. And around February, or actually it was January of 2017, I decided that I was going to get baptized. I finally understood what baptism really meant. <laughs> so I scheduled my baptism, and then I had gotten a surgery that would allow me to do my dialysis at home. It's called peritoneal dialysis, and I have a catheter in my abdomen. Unfortunately, it became infected, and I was in the hospital during the weekend of my baptism. So I called the church, and it was meant to be. I met a wonderful friend, a dear friend of mine, who the church offered to have come and pray with me. Her name is Lori, and she's, she's sitting next to me and supporting me too this evening. Lori came and prayed with me, just like Cindy had. And it was wonderful. And Lori invited me to come to a special group at church called Hope Keepers, which was full of people that were just like me. Um, chronic diseases, cancer, depression. And we all shared with each other our journeys. We all helped each other get through the times with the love of the Lord. And she also invited me and John to join a small group study that was at her house. I loved it. I loved my life, but I was still missing one thing. And I fully decided to give my life over to Jesus Christ in June of 2017 in Lori's pool. 
in front of my friends at Hope Keepers with Lori baptizing me and Pastor Tim's son, Kevin McCarthy, there. It was a glorious day and one of the best days of my whole entire life. I uh, tried for a kidney transplant one time in 2017 and one time in 2018, but I was turned down both times, mostly because of my scleroderma. They don't know what's going to happen if I get a new organ. I was gaining or losing weight very rapidly as well because my digestive system was not working. And for about a year, I weighed 75 pounds. Um, obviously, I don't anymore. <laughs> Um, in late 2017 to 2018, uh, John and I started taking classes at Heritage. We started volunteering. We're greeters. I love it. I love to welcome everybody and wish them a blessed day on their way out. And one morning I flipped on Joyce Meyer and something else in my life really clicked. The way that she talked about the Bible, the way that she told about where she had come from was just amazing to me. So I knew I had to do something different. In 2018, I started a new therapy for my scleroderma called IVIG. And this therapy is an infusion similar to chemotherapy, but it doesn't have the side effects. It is a super cleaned, um, concentrated blood that is infused in my body in five hours. And whenever somebody asks me if they can do anything for me, the first thing I say is give blood. Um, not only could I use it, but so many other people get this type of therapy and other types, they need, they need blood in the hospitals too. So please consider giving blood. I also realized I needed to shake up my life a little bit. And I needed to establish a routine. And I felt the best when I could do this first thing in the morning, but I pray all day long. But I started formatting my prayers, kind of looking at the Our Father. Um, but I went a little bit deeper, and I would like to share with you what I pray for in the mornings. I pray to God, to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I love you. I trust you. I believe in you. I have hope and faith. I delight in you. I'm in agreement with you. I love your word, your stories, and your promises. You're good. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and he died for me. I'm humbled. I give thanksgiving for salvation, for grace and mercy, for blessings, for unprecedented favor, for my life, for this day, for destiny genes, for divine connections, for destiny moments, that you died for me, Lord, and I'm a new creation. I forgive others, Lord, please forgive me. Please put it on my heart, anything or anyone that I am not remembering right now and forgive me of my sins. And I looked for this through Matthew 6, 4, and Matthew 18, 21 through 35. That is my guide on how to ask for forgiveness. I invoke the Holy Spirit to work on his behalf through me. What can I do for you today? May love overflow from me. Bless people with my time, talents, and treasures. I live for you, God. 
in obedience. Please let me see what my spiritual fruits are, what I can use this day. Grant me discernment and may love abound in me. I ask for humility, that what I learn and study, I will follow. I want to endure with joy and be content in the season I am in. You are the source of my strength, God. I praise you for your promises of health, for my children, for finances, once again, for divine connections. They've meant so much to me in my life. I put on the full armor of God as it is explained in Ephesians 6, 11 to 18. And I take the limits off God and I ask him boldly for healing for my daughter, for healing for anyone that is on my prayer list, for the government, for schools and teachers, for acquaintances, for my family. And I ask him to help me reach those who don't know him. In Jesus' name, I pray that in the mornings. And not only do I do that, but since I am unable to drive and I don't currently have a job, I have a little bit, of, little bit more time in the mornings. So I can listen to Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer, and I can take notes. I get devotionals on, uh, in my, through my emails and on the Bible app. I do Bible studies with friends on the Bible app quite frequently. I also do Bible studies like Cindy's. God says, yes, we say amen. I journal. I try to read one chapter of the Bible. And the most important part of my day for me is to reach out to people either via text or I prefer via phone to let them know that I'm just thinking about them, that if they want to pray, we can pray. If my mom, she wants to talk about the masked singer, I'll talk with her about the masked singer. Whatever I can do to bring joy to others because it selfishly brings joy to me. And I learned through studies and devotion, and the more I followed God, the better I felt, of course, spiritually. How could I not? <laughs> Mentally, emotionally, and even physically. I have more range of motion right now. And let me tell you, my fatigue is drastically decreased. I used to sleep 12 to 14 hours a day. And now I can sleep 8 to 10, sometimes less, <laughs> because I get up with a teenage daughter now. My uh, children were in the custody of their father because of my uh, disease. I was not able to help them get to school or to doctor's appointments or to sports. But my oldest daughter has since come to live with me, and I am blessed. I'm fully blessed. So I am up at 6 o'clock every morning and usually back to bed at 7.30. <laughs> um, bulimia, alcoholism, scleroderma, a rotted pancreas, kidney failure were brought by the enemy, but God is using it for his glory. It's always putting together points that I have learned along my journey it was amazing to me because scripture would come out of any place that I was looking. And I have 13 points that I would like to share with you this evening of things that I learned that helped me on my journey. Guilt from the past is removed and sins are forgiven. Philippians 3, 13 to 14. God is a rewarder to those who diligently seek. Hebrews eleven six. 6. 
He will never give me more than I can handle. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Give it and it will be given to you. What you send out comes back. A good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. And running over. Luke 6.38 The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has come so I will have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. John 10.10 Don't be anxious or worry about anything. Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Endure with joy, my favorite. Colossians 1, 11. He works in us according to his will. Philippians 2, 13. I trust him. He will supernaturally help me. He drives out sickness. I didn't work for it. He promised in his word, and he has the final say. Joshua 24, 12. I was lost. He rescued me, and he will do it again, and it will be made known that the Lord has done this. Isaiah 45, 2 through 3. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper and not harm you, plans for a hope and a better future. God doesn't make mistakes, John 15, 16, and I can do anything with him, Philippians 4, 13. And I quoted Philippians quite a bit. And Joyce Meyer, I have her study Bible, and she summarized it, I think, in a great way. This, this book really means a lot to me. Um, three points. that um, In Philippians, strength comes from joy of the Lord. To rejoice in all things and cultivate real joy in your life. And lastly, joy is more than emotion and happiness. It can be anything from extreme hilarity to calm delight. Practice calm delight in every area of your life. The Holy Spirit also put on me the book of Titus. Titus was a young minister, and Paul wrote him a letter. And in that letter, he talked about good Christian doctrine should lead to good Christian living, to be diligent and enthusiastic about doing good works in order to demonstrate your love for Jesus Christ, and to make sure your works, your good works, are led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Today, when I leaned on God, I am not scleroderma. I am saved. I'm soft-hearted. I am his daughter, his soldier. I am born again, a new creation, his faithful servant, holy, student, ambassador, forgiving, full of joy. I am his hands and feet. I am his cheerleader. I'm a masterpiece. I'm in love with God. I am peaceful. I am faithful. I am chosen. I am a child. I am hopeful. I'm full of prayer. I'm in agreement with God. I'm a believer. I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I'm a lover of people. I'm spiritually transformed. I am whole, I am complete, I am a good listener, I'm in awe of Jesus, I'm set apart for his purpose, I'm the light of God's truth and world, I'm confident, I'm wise, I am who God says I am, and I am healed. I 
have taken the limits off of God in my life. And last year, I was so blessed. I had an amazing trip to Maui. Hawaii was absolutely beautiful. And it was something that I didn't know if I would be able to do because I was on kidney dialysis. My friend and encourager, John, asked me to marry him. And we are engaged and are planning our wedding for some time next year. And most importantly, last month I was taken off of kidney dialysis. The Lord healed my kidneys. And next month, this catheter will be removed from my abdomen. I will be able to travel without the hindrance of a 50-pound machine and a bunch of boxes of fluid. But I am always so happy to help anybody that is struggling, especially through that. I know that God caused our paths to cross tonight. This was a destiny moment. And I know I'm making divine connections. There was a purpose for my pain. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for listening to my story. And thank you, Cindy, for inviting me. Thank you for inviting me. Oh my goodness. Is that an amazing God story or what? That's a new woman. That's a new woman. Oh my goodness. You see why God put her on my heart? I mean, it was like she just exudes her identity in Christ. Yes. I just thank God for what what he has done (laughs) in your life. Every day. It's just amazing. Amazing. So we prayed for Beth last night, but you know what? I want to pray for her again. So I'm going to make you come back up here. We're going to pray for you before we move into ministry. So you guys agree with me. Just stand in agreement. Father, we thank you that your work is amazing, that you have done uh, uh, such a perfect work in this woman. Father, I declare Philippians 1.6 over Beth right now, and I declare this precious promise that what you began, you bring through to completion. Father, I thank you that you healed her kidneys. I thank you that her kidneys are restored to normal. I thank you her digestive system is restored to normal. I thank you every organ, every system is healed and made whole. I thank you, Father, that scleroderma is under the blood. We call her body whole. We call her body completely healed and restored. Father, I thank you that Beth has a life of fullness, a life of hope, a future, and a hope that you have ordained for her. And she is living it. She is breathing it. She is loving it. She is enjoying every day of life. And I thank you, Father, for the work that you have begun and that you are continuing in her and through her. And, God, we give you all the thanks and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much.